0: Hello, Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. Has anyone noticed how our world is becoming an increasingly unforgiving place? Living in these cynical, polarized, angry, and confrontational times, I hear little talk. I don't know about you, but I hear little talk, let alone witness the practice of forgiveness. Instead, righteous rage and divorcing ourselves from others seem to be the order of the day. Those who are not for us are branded as against us rather than being embraced as persons with a different point of view. Those in opposition to what we believe are labeled as threats Enemies, unworthy of an audience or consideration, and therefore justifiably ridiculed, abused, and even dehumanized as necessary casualties to promote what we perceive as the greater good, but in truth are merely our own personal agendas and aspirations. More and more we witness how one's causes, one's affiliations, one's ideologies are deemed more important... And more valuable than our relationships with each other. Even as we profess to promote and fight for values like equality, representation, consent, freedom. The one value we appear to have lost is that of forgiveness. And so as we continue our summer sermon series based on questions submitted by this committee... Forgiveness is the topic of the day. When I reached out to the Lord and said, What should I pray on? God put front and center to me the one topic that I did get questions about, but that I chose not to put on the list. (laughs) Isn't God funny? And there was a series of questions, and these are the questions we're basically going to answer, but they, they revolve around this Why do we need to be forgiven? What does forgiveness entail? How do we forgive ourselves? And how do we forgive those who have wronged us? I think you can see why I avoided putting this on the the list. Well, together we're going to seek the Bible's answer to these questions through a scripture passage that you know very, very well. But a passage that underscores how the experience and practice of forgiveness are both at the heart of the Christian faith and are the foundational message of the gospel. And that passage that you're going to see on the screen or in your Bibles is what's known as the Lord's Prayer. Let's read from Scripture today from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus speaking. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation... But deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus, in teaching us to pray, emphasizes the centrality of forgiveness in our relationship with God and with each other. Jesus reinforces this by giving us the only conditional petition in the Lord's Prayer. Inseparably tying our experience of God's forgiveness to our forgiveness of each other. But before we get ahead of ourselves and talk about that, let's wrestle with the first question that this community asked, which is why do we need to be forgiven? Now that may not have been your question and it may seem that the answer is obvious, why we need to be, be forgiven, but since it was submitted as a question, perhaps not. And I would say that actually part of the rising defensiveness and hostility in the air these days, part of it stems from what's becoming more and more this underlying assumption, and it's even becoming an increasingly popular ma- mantra, that we don't have to apologize We don't have to apologize at all for who we are or what we do. That we shouldn't have to make apologies for being true to ourselves. And on the surface of it, that sounds great, right? That sounds, seems very optimistic, very reasonable. But here's the the underlying problem. What if being true to yourself means you are also being false, Deceitful, abusive, or hurtful to another person? What if being true to yourself hurts someone else? Now, our default response to this question is typically, well, that's their problem. Well, that's their problem. We blame the other person. Instead of perceiving any blame on our part, we justify ourselves or we make excuses. We stress our intentions over and above our actions. If we even acknowledge there is a problem at all, with being true to ourselves, we argue how, for how we are the exception. We insist upon special circumstances. Why do we need to be forgiven for being true to ourselves? Sure, we might say, I'm not perfect. But then again, who is? I make mistakes. I mess up. I just need people to give me a break once in a while, you know? I just need people to cut me some slack. Is that all that's wrong with this world? Is it just if we give each other a little more room, if you stay in your corner and I stay in mine, we won't step on each other's toes? Not at all. Because as human history clearly has demonstrated, the problems of this world are not about having or giving each other enough room. Things fall apart. The world continues to fracture because when I make up and play by my own rules and you do the same, It doesn't matter how much of a wide berth we give each other. Inevitably, eventually, our interests, our trajectories are going to clash. And we will find ourselves wrestling with each other for control of the narrative. Unavoidably hurting. And perhaps even killing each other in some way along the way. But actually, the The problem is even bigger than that because the truth is our need for forgiveness goes well beyond breaking each other's rules, the ones we make for ourselves. We need forgiveness because there is, in fact, a higher law. There are standards. There are boundaries. There are expectations that transcend the rules that I make up or that you do. God's law. Our creator's order and structure for all life and existence. God's intent and purpose for our lives. The reason we need to be forgiven is that word sin. Rejecting and rebelling against God's standards, boundaries, and expectations for all creation. Our trespasses that we need to be forgiven are when we cross the line of the order and structure of all that the Lord has made. When we play God. Not just in terms of science and technology, but when we play God, most especially in our relationships with each other. The debt that we owe God that needs to be forgiven comes from what we do or fail to do relative to what the Lord requires of us. It's a debt we owe to God first, but it's also a debt we incur against another person or persons, because we're not independent creatures. We're all in this together. Our common humanity connects us. My actions along with yours, all of them have consequences. Consequences that don't just affect me or affect you, that affect others eventually. And their consequences affect us. Every time I cross a line, every wrong that I do, there's a ripple effect that impacts and tears the fabric of our life together, oftentimes in ways that I don't fully comprehend. In other words, My problem with sin is your problem with sin. My debts cost you as much, if not more, than they cost me. Your trespasses violate not just your relationships, but they have repercussions for mine. And together, as we break these rules, this higher law, over and over and over again, both willfully and even unconsciously, together we're leaving an awful mess. We're defacing, we're defiling, we're detracting from the glory of our creator and the beauty of his creation as it was intended to be. Do we need forgiveness? Yes, yes we do. We need it badly. Because without forgiveness, there is no future. There is no hope. There is no life for any of us. But this leads to the second question, what does forgiveness entail? What does forgiveness involve? Forgiveness means to release another person to set someone who's in the wrong free. Forgiveness is the conscious decision on the part of the offended to release the offender from the penalty and guilt of the offense committed. And because forgiveness is something that can only be initiated by the offended, The one who has been wronged, if you you follow the, the math where it ultimately leads, there is no forgiveness at all apart from God. I mean, this is even reflected in how Jesus frames the start of that petition for forgiveness. The petition in the Lord's Prayer begins with our first asking God to do something for us, something only God can do for us, because God, as our creator, is the one who is ultimately offended by our sin, our rejection and rebellion of his standards, boundaries, and expectations for all creation. And thankfully, the gospel, the good news is, we continue to exist. We're here. We're still breathing because God chooses to forgive us. And as we witness how God forgives us in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we learn what forgiveness is. We learn that forgiveness is not leniency or overlooking our sin. Forgiveness does not negate experiencing the consequences of our actions. Forgiveness pulls the nails out of the board, but it doesn't remove the holes. Sin always has a price that must be paid. If I go to your house and break a lamp, forgiveness or no forgiveness, the lamp is still broken. Somebody has to pick up the pieces. Somebody has to clean up the mess. Someone has to replace that lamp. But the offender cannot earn forgiveness. Facing the consequences of my actions does not equate to forgiveness. Because there's no way the offender can ever repay the debt or cover the cost of what they've done. Even if I go to your house and clean up the mess and get you a replacement lamp, you still carry the loss of not having your original lamp. And there's nothing I can do about that. When I say things that hurt you, that are thoughtless, that are mean, I can say, and we often do, I am so sorry. And that's good. That's helpful. But it doesn't change the mark that that comment leaves. And many of us carry still things that have been said to us. That even though that person said they were sorry, it's still there. When I was a kid, I regretfully uh, inform you that I went through a phase where I realized with both my parents, but particularly my father, that the words, I hate you, hurt. And so when I was in disagreements with my father, I would just throw it out there. I hate you. I hate you. And of course, I would say at, after I cooled off, I'm sorry. And at one point, my father said, when again, we went through the cycle again, if I hate you and I hate you and you're the worst and this, and then came back and said, I'm sorry. He said, I really think you should stop and think about what that means. Because you keep saying you hate me, And yet you come and you say that you're sorry. Are you sorry? Because every time you say you hate me, it gets harder and harder for you and I, not just to be father and son, but to be friends. Ah. It stayed with me. Again, forgiveness cannot be earned. Forgiveness is the decision on the part of the offended to bear the burden of the damage done by the offender. My dad, when I broke that habit, <laughs> and I really started to, did start to sink in, and I felt tremendous regret and guilt and shame for how often and how thoughtlessly and just rel- relentlessly I said I would just say I hated him. And I really stopped and thought about it all the times. I just threw it out there. My dad was the only one who could say, I forgive you. My dad was the only one who, was, who, who could say, I'm willing to bear that hurt that you can't make go away. You've said you're sorry, but you can't make go away, but I'll carry it with me, and I'll carry it with me, but I'm gonna carry it with me differently now because I choose to forgive you. And that stayed with me. And the point that we're getting at here, one of, and we certainly see this through how God forgives us, is forgiveness is not free. I mean, we, we often, I think, lose that in the church Jesus has done all this for us. It's not free. We can't earn it, but it doesn't mean it's free. And it's not cheap. Forgiveness is costly. It's costly because it's a cost only the offended can cover. What Jesus endures by going to and dying on the cross, even if we go back further than that, what Jesus endures, what God endures by coming down into our humanity I mean, (laughs) are you like me? Are Are you ever at the point where you know I'm just tired of people? Get me out of this place? God willingly entered into that. Rather than saying, you know what? You guys just do what you do, but I don't want any part of that. God willingly entered into that and then ultimately endured betrayal, rejection, abandonment, abuse, torture, and dying on a cross, and all of this underscoring the serious consequences, but also the high price of forgiveness. But God's pardon of us in Christ demonstrates how forgiveness carries an even deeper significance than just assuming damage, responsibility for the damage done. It's, it, forgiveness encompasses more than just canceling the debt. As I alluded to with the story about my dad, in forgiving us, God not, is also not holding our sin, what we've, do, what we've done against us. My dad never, and, and, I, and I wish I could say that in my life I've been, been like this, now, once it, we, 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 we resolved it, once he chose to forgive me, once I realized what I was asking for, and he chose to give it. He never brought it up again. He never brought it up. He never, like, all of a sudden, when I, when I did something, say, you know what, it's just like you because you always do this. My dad chose to not hold that sin against me. And our God does the same thing. God doesn't keep coming back and going, hey, guys, can you please remember, look, you know what I've done for you here. I mean, do I have to go through it again? Our Father forgoes his right to punish, to take his justified vengeance upon us, to bring it down to our level. What we witness in God in Christ is that forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. Now, I don't know if your brain works like mine, and it's probably better if it doesn't. But we might wonder, given all this, why God forgives us at all. We might wonder why God forgives us at all, especially as we keep repeating the same offenses against him and against each other. Why why does God forgive that? And I like to think of it this way. Told you, jet lag. God's forgiveness of us serves to function like the GPS navigation system in our cars. A GPS system tells you where to go, right? If you drive past the exit, or if you get off off the course that's been laid out for you, the GPS doesn't get angry, right? The voice of the GPS says simply, and matter of factly, recalculating. And once the GPS recalculates, It tells you how to get back on track. Even if you ignore it, and just a quick, quick row of hands, how many of you ignore the GPS? Come on, right here. There you go, there you go. (laughs) You have it and you ignore it. How many of you are like, that's not right, I'm not going that way. But even if you ignore the GPS, it doesn't tell you, you know what, get lost. (laughs) That would be something, right, if the GPS all of a sudden, (laughs) whatever, just get lost. No, the GPS, even if we ignore it, even as we talk back to it, will continue to direct us, recalculating and advising is needed to get us to our destination. And that's a lot like God's forgiveness of us. Again, our Father creates this world with a certain order, a certain structure. He gives us our lives with a particular design. It's not chaotic, it's not random, Our God, our Father, desires for us to go a certain way in life, to live a certain way, to do certain things for our good and the good of all. But again, we have our own plans in mind. We don't listen to the instructions. I'm not going that way. I'm not doing that. And we either unintentionally fail to follow our Father's direction or we stubbornly ignore our Lord, the Lord's guidance because we have our own ideas, our own preferred destinations in mind. And yet, as we may miss the exits, as we may stray off the path, our Father refuses to leave us to our own devices heading down the highway to hell. No, in his patient love, the Lord, through his word and his spirit, remains consistently and always with us, saying, recalculating. There's no shaming or guilt by God, just persistent nudging and prompting to come back home, to come back home. We can get miles off course, miles. We can end up on the other side of the world. But our Father's commitment to keep us on track never wavers. Our Father's purpose in forgiving us remains unchanged to get us back to him. Back on course, For the full, abundant, and everlasting life he desires and intends for us all. That's why God forgives us. Because God is not going to stop pursuing us. God is not going to stop nudging us. God is not going to let us go. God is going to get us exactly where he needs us, he wants us, he made us to be. And yet despite this, the fact that we worship this unrelenting, forgiving God there are so many, and I'm not talking outside the church, there are so many in the church who struggle to believe that God really forgives us. And I won't ask for a show of hands on that one, but it might be you who struggle. You hear it over and over again here, in another, but you struggle to believe that God really forgives us. Carl Menninger of the Menninger Clinic once said, if he could convince the patients in his psychiatric hospitals that their sins are forgiven, 75% of them could walk out the next day. Time and time again in the Bible, we see it. The Lord pleads for his people, his children, to repent, turn around, come home, return to me, to trust and embrace his promised forgiveness. And perhaps the greatest assurance of God's forgiveness is represented by the picture that Jesus gives in that parable that is known beyond all other parables, that picture that Jesus gives of a father who runs with abandon arms open wide towards his guilty, downtrodden, prodigal son. The father who gently seeks, without question, without reservation, to remove his child's rags, to heal his sores, to clothe his nakedness, and without excuse or apology, to bring him home. My friends, if if this is the character and desire of our God, Why are so many of us still living apart from such forgiveness? Why are we still wallowing in the dirt, eating with the pigs rather than feasting with our Father? Because when it comes to our Father's forgiveness, we don't appreciate the difference between being accepted by God and being acceptable to God. Being accepted by God and being acceptable to God. You see, our disobedience, no matter what it is, no matter what it is, our disobedience, no matter what it is, does not mean that God does not accept us. We ourselves may feel unworthy, but that does not mean we are unwelcomed or unaccepted by our Creator. No. We are all Children of our Heavenly Father. That's who God says we are. We are all children of our Heavenly Father. And with Jesus as our brother, there is no loss of membership in the family of God. All are still invited. All are always welcome in the house of the Lord. And yet, at the same time, our sin, our brokenness, our disobedience does not mean we are in an acceptable condition as we come home. The dirty, tattered, and torn condition of our hearts, our minds, and our souls cannot be overlooked. The damaged relationships within our lives cannot be ignored. I mean, it's like coming back from playing in the dirt all day. Of course you're welcome to come home, but you can't track mud all over the house and everyone else. And so we have to face, even as we are accepted, even as we are forgiven, we have to face the truth of how filthy and messed up we are. We have to come clean before we can receive the cleansing that we need. But hear this. God in forgiving us isn't asking ourselves, us, us to clean ourselves up. God isn't asking us to clean ourselves up. God in forgiving us is inviting us to get clean, to be cleansed by the Word and the Spirit, to yield and abide in our Father's changing of our clothes, changing of our character, changing of our mindset, changing of our habits, our words, and our actions. Still, there are some here, some who may be listening, watching, who persist. God may forgive me, but I just can't forgive myself. I, you just don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. I just can't forgive myself. And this might surprise you, but for those who continue to insist that they can't forgive themselves, that we can't forgive ourselves, technically, you're correct. This is a true statement. Because again, going back to where we once were in this sermon, no one who has wronged another has the power or the authority to forgive themselves for something they've done wrong. People in debt can't simply declare themselves debt-free and write the remainder off of what they owe. Prisoners can't pardon themselves and just walk out of prison. Again, another story from my childhood, because this is just the way this message is going. One of my parents' practices of discipline was to ground me. And I remember the time when I was grounded, and I had come to the conclusion that I had been grounded enough. That I had served my time that I had enough time to think about it, and there was no need to continue to ground me. And I went straight to my parents and said, you know, I appreciate what you've done here. Thank you for the lessons you've endeavored to teach me, but I think I'm done being grounded. Yeah, right? (laughs) To which my mother said nothing, and my father said, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? (laughs) I don't think you understand. This wasn't, this is not your, you didn't ground yourself. Well, you did but we're the ones who grounded you. You're you're done being grounded when we say you're done being grounded. You can't say you're done. Well, it doesn't seem right. Well, that's how it is. You're the one who did what was wrong. It's up to us to decide when you've done your time. So again, this idea that we can't forgive ourselves is true. In every case, forgiveness is contingent upon a higher power and authority. We can't forgive ourselves. So if you're wrestling with that, You're you're correct. You cannot forgive yourselves. We can't free ourselves from guilt and shame. And this is the whole point. Beloved, to put this another way, if we could forgive ourselves, we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need Jesus. So it's not a matter of forgiving ourselves. And so many of us are caught in that loop. It's not a matter of forgiving ourselves. It's a matter of receiving. It's a matter of yielding surrendering. It's a matter of abiding in the forgiveness, the freedom that only God in Christ can give. You remember that story Jesus tells of the prodigal son. The son coming home, man, he's got his speech all prepared. He's got it all worked out how it's going to be. The smartest thing that the son does is when he just shuts up and lets his father clean him up. lets his father take him home. We can't. Forgive ourselves, and here's the thing: in refusing to forgive ourselves, for those of us who still are holding on to that, I'm hearing you, but I, I just can't. In refusing to forgive ourselves, in continuing to rehearse our speech to come home to the Lord, in persisting in being hard on ourselves, I'm just awful. I'm worse I'm the worst. In continuing to seek, to seeking to pay God back. God, let me make it square with you. God, I got to do something for you. In trying to earn our way back into the Lord's good graces, we are actually rejecting the forgiveness being offered to us. Understand that. It seems pious. I just can't forgive myself. That's how bad I feel. I just can't forgive myself. But fundamentally, what you're basically saying is, I will not receive the forgiveness that God offers to me. We are declaring that our guilt and shame are stronger more powerful and authoritative in our lives than God's power and authority to forgive. The only means, our only means of being set free of that guilt and shame we carry is to let go of remaining so focused on ourselves, so focused on what we should have done. Oh, you know, that's what, I, I should have done that. Or what we still might do, you know, I'm gonna make it up to them. I'm gonna, I, this is what I got, I gotta do this. Or what we believe is adequate penance. You know, I'll let God forgive me when I've done this. The only way to be free of that guilt and shame is instead of remaining so focused on ourselves is again to fall completely. To remain utterly dependent upon God's mercy and grace in forgiving us. Tough stuff. But we have one more place to go. Because the first half of this petition is Father, forgive our sins. And it stretches us as we've talked about. But we need to keep listening as Jesus also adds on top of forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And just in case, in, and many of us have the Lord's Prayer memorized, we miss the impact of what Jesus is telling us here. We just kind of say it by rote. Oh, yes, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those our debtors, forgive those who trespass against us. Pay attention to the words Jesus adds after the Lord's Prayer like a little PS, like a little postscript. Right after teaching this prayer, Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Oh no, now Jesus has done it. First, he teaches us to pray for ourselves, to seek and accept our Father's forgiveness, which isn't easy. And now Jesus has us making a commitment to do something for others and not just anything for other people, actually forgiving those who have wronged us. Those who have wronged us. To forgive the family member who disappointed us. To forgive the friend who deceived us. To forgive the spouse who betrayed us. To forgive the coworker who took advantage of us. To forgive the confident who lied to us. The loved one who abused us. Forgive them? Hell No. And we quickly protest looking for a loophole. Weren't we raised to believe? Doesn't the Bible teach God's forgiveness is not dependent upon our actions? Didn't you just say, Pastor Chris, God our Father reaches out to us in grace and mercy to heal and forgive us despite ourselves? So, what gives? Is this petition some kind of hidden clause in the salvation contract? A deal we must make with God in order to be forgiven? Is this a bait and switch? God will forgive us only if we are willing to forgive others? The answer is no. Hear this all is forgiven through the cross and resurrection not conditional. All is forgiven through the cross and resurrection. God's forgiveness has been extended to everyone, all the world in Christ. Jesus is not telling us if we fail to forgive, we will be denied forgiveness as some sort of punishment. God's forgiveness is much more than a moral obligation, a law we must either fulfill or suffer the consequences What Jesus is teaching us through this petition is God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others is inseparably linked. God's kingdom people are forgiven to be forgiving. To refuse to forgive another person is to shut the door of mercy in our Father's face even though his forgiveness still surrounds the house. Back to that story, that parable of the father. We remember the prodigal son, but don't forget the elder son. The elder son, who when he sees that his brother has been forgiven and doesn't realize that he's been forgiven too, and says, hey, if that's what forgiveness looks like, you can stick it. I want no part of it. When the elder son refuses to forgive his younger prodigal brother, he doesn't just close the door of his heart to his brother, he closes it on his father. Remember how that parable ends? The father doesn't say, oh, okay, you're not going to forgive your brother? Then done with you. The heck with you. You're dead to me. The father says, these are inseparable. You're as forgiven as he is. Come to the party. You can't, you don't don't understand. The father doesn't cut him off. The elder brother cuts himself off from his father. And if we reach the limit, limit the reach of forgiveness toward others, we apply those same limits to ourselves. It's not that God our Father isn't willing and ready to forgive us. He has forgiven us. It's that we're not ready, we're not willing to be forgiven. In other words, it's an oxymoron to say we truly know God's mercy and yet remain hard-hearted towards other people. And be warned. (laughs) careful. There's tremendous power in not forgiving another person. There is tremendous power in having something to hold on to, something over another person's head, something like that guilt and shame. And some of us know that power. You're wielding it right now. It may be your mom. It may be your dad. It might be your kids. It could be your brother. It could be your sister. It could be your friend. You know the power. Holding something over someone's head, that unwillingness to forgive, And even if the other person doesn't even acknowledge they're wrong, there's still power. Power to be wielded. In holding on to the conviction, well, they may not say it, but I'm right and they're wrong. I'm right and they're wrong. And I know it even if they don't. But my friends, righteousness rooted in resentment rather than faith quickly turns sour. I'm right and they're wrong. You can even hear it in how I say it. I'm right and they're wrong. I don't sound really right. I sound pretty wrong. It turns sour, it gets ugly, it turns into superiority over another person. What a big man I am talking to you. What a big man I am being willing to sit with you and deal with you when you know that you have done me wrong and I'm right and you're wrong. What a good person I am, what a big person I am. Beware of that power. There is tremendous power in not forgiving another person but it is an exercise of power that is not good. It's not good for them. It's not good for us. It's an exercise of power that is not good because it is not of God. And it doesn't take what remains unhealed in us to become septic as feelings of anger. First, we think we've got it under control. Oh, that's all right. They don't have to say they're sorry. I don't have to, I don't have to forgive them. We know I'm right. They're wrong. It doesn't take long for feelings of anger to become cancers of bitterness. Rage. Rage. And eventually contempt, infecting not just the other person, but everyone else around us, including ourselves. Refusing to extend pity to those who offend and hurt us leaves us not only in a pitiful, but a pitiless state, with nothing but our resentment and our bitterness to keep us company. Being merciless binds us in a prison of our own making, cutting ourselves off from the freedom born of the mercy of God, And the broken fellowship of unforgiveness not only impacts, again, my relationship with my brother or sister, it also hampers our ability to talk with and hear from our Father. How does it affect our ability to talk with and hear from our Father? Because here it is. In not forgiving others, we make ourselves the judge. Instead of being a fellow sinner, we are claiming to be God. And you can't have that much of a relationship, let alone a conversation, with someone's job who you are presuming to take. And some of us right now, it comes up a lot, bring it up in prayer, I don't hear from God, I never hear God talk, I never see God's direction. Well, maybe it's because you're too busy trying to be God of your life. Because if you're trying to play God, again, you're not gonna have much of a relationship with someone whose job you already think you have. One of the biggest reasons for our image problem is the church, especially in these divisive times, is in the growing dichotomy, people, between our message and our practice. I mean, we can't, as the church, continue to profess that everyone is amazingly forgiven and unconditionally loved by Jesus and yet increasingly speak and act shamefully unforgiving and woefully unloving when it comes to those who persecute, those who belittle, those who wrong or disagree with us. This is why Jesus says, loving people you like you is easy. Everybody does that. But people will know you follow me. People will know that you belong to me when you love those who persecute you, those who hurt you, those who you call your enemies. And Jesus in teaching us to forgive isn't telling us to be victims. I hear a lot of that these days. I'm not a victim. Jesus in telling us to forgive isn't telling us to be victims to just suck it up and take it. Jesus, in teaching us to forgive, is calling us to be victors, to turn the world upside down, to represent his kingdom by resisting, by fighting back against an ever-present, vicious cycle of retribution. Jesus is inviting us to live out of the cross and the resurrection, the victory of the cross and the resurrection, rather than being seduced and ultimately destroyed by a violent, crippling path of vengeance. Okay, yes, we might answer, but how? How do we forgive someone who has wronged us, who has hurt us so deeply? How do we do that? How, in the midst of all the wounds we carry, the scars we bear, how do we forgive, especially when we don't feel like forgiving the other person? We move the first step towards forgiveness as we ask God to change how we think about the person who has wronged us. Instead of holding on to that deep pain, instead of nursing that grudge, instead of flirting with the temptation to get a little payback, we get on our knees instead. And in this act of humble submission, even if done begrudgingly, and let me tell you, there have been most of the times I'm on my knees, it's begrudgingly. I hate to tell you that. I don't like getting on my knees. I don't like that posture of submission, and I often do it grumbling hate to tell you, but even in that humble act of submission done begrudgingly, the first thing the Holy Spirit will prompt us, will strengthen us to do, is to release our anger and our hurt because of that person. Allowing the Holy Spirit to change how we think about that person is releasing all that baggage we've been holding on to, we've been carrying towards them, and instead feeling lighter starting to be set free. We may not feel like forgiving, but it will feel good to let go of all that baggage. And letting go of that baggage of the past enables the Spirit to give us a new perception of that person. To see that person in a way that we don't want to see, but we need to see. To see that person as a child of God like us. Not any worse, not any better, but just as broken, just as needy, and just as forgiven by God as we are. None of this will excuse what they did. Hear that. None of this will excuse what they did. None of this will change what happened. But it will broaden our view of their struggles. It will broaden our view of their hurts, their blind spots, their brokenness, their weakness. And as we start to perceive the person who wronged us through our father's eyes instead of our own, we will recognize the distance between ourselves and that person is not as deep and wide as we have led ourselves to believe. For every wrong done to us is like every wrong we do unto others in that they are all a greater offense against our heavenly father. And if God forgives all sins, if God forgives our sins, who are we to withhold the forgiveness of the sins of another person, even the one who has wronged us? For we all have our faults. We all have our flaws. We all have our sins to confess to. We each need a Savior just as much as anyone else. Forgiveness is not easy. But holding on to resentment is a bitter pill to keep swallowing. Learning to accept others. To welcome back those who have wronged us. To receive them regardless of what they have done happens. When we realize forgiveness is not primarily an act of generosity toward someone who hurt us. But that forgiveness is an act of gratitude toward the God in Christ who accepted us while we were yet still sinners. Therefore, Forgiving someone is never being the bigger person. It is always being and reflecting Christ to that person. Witnessing to the same Jesus we encounter through the forgiveness and grace of God extended to us by someone we have wronged. True forgiveness flows as a spontaneous and free act when we know ourselves to be forgiven. Just as love flows freely and naturally when we know ourselves to be loved. So you see, far from being a command, the forgiveness of another person arises when our minds have been opened, when our hearts have been changed. The forgiveness of another person comes not as a command, as much as a recognition of the overwhelming initiative and generosity of the God who has forgiven us. We are so moved. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. We're so moved and we continue to be so transformed that we choose by the Spirit's leading and strengthening to choose a lifestyle that reflects not resentment, not bitterness, not contempt, but choose to reflect a lifestyle that reflects God's initiative and generosity by extending grace, offering forgiveness to others. And you know you're in that space. You know you're in that power of the Spirit because you find that what you're giving to the other person, you feel like you're getting the better end of the deal. As ambassadors for Christ, the Apostle Paul says that this is our real, down-and-dirty, practical work. As ambassadors for Christ, Paul says this is the stuff. This is what it's about, the work of forgiveness. Sorting out the, the issues between us, so they don't divide and tear us apart. And by God, these are the kind of kingdom witnesses we need right now. I am tired of so-called professed followers of Christ who scream and shout and strike out in defense of the name of Jesus, but just leave factions in their wake. Somebody else speak up, please. I'm done with so-called prophets of doom and condemnation who brazenly presume to sit in judgment and speak for God without any humility or compassion for those who are truly in need. Somebody, please stand up besides them. Because the kind of kingdom witnesses we need, we are called to be, the Spirit is calling us to be right now and in every age, are messengers of peace and goodwill, who can listen, who can talk and disagree without being disagreeable and thereby reflecting the character of Christ. The kind of witnesses we need right now are ministers of reconciliation who as evangelists of the gospel, you want to share the gospel, here it is, as evangelists of the gospel are willing to build bridges instead of walls, who are committed to crossing lines instead of drawing them, who rather than promote what divides us, seek to point to the common ground We all share as sinners, as broken, flawed people who are forgiven and saved thanks to the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. My friends, spreading fear and sowing discord is easy. Practicing forgiveness and being reconciled to each other is hard. It may be the most challenging ministry we engage in, but it is also the most provocative and compelling reflection of the gospel. Forgiveness is the real demonstration of the power of the gospel because it is the work of Christ. It is the work Christ has done for each one of us and we can only experience its freedom and reflect it when we extend it to each other. Forgiveness is a costly thing. It costs everything, death itself, to let go of the past, to release the wrongs and hurts of our lives, of this world. But Jesus, my friends, has paid the price. As we like to sing, Jesus has paid it all. And it may take everything within us to say, please forgive me. And likewise, it may be just as demanding to utter the response, I forgive you. But we can say and mean And live out of both of those statements. Because our ability to do so. Our reason for not just saying. But practicing such words. Comes from the gift of God's grace. The canceling of our own debts. The forgiving of our own trespasses. The casting aside of our own sins. The echo of Jesus' own words. As he hung from the cross. In our guilt and shame. Father forgive them. Because they don't know what they do. Father, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us because they know not what they do. Just like us. And this is the If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.